Today on Let's Talk VoiceOver with BT and Randy Ryan, Andrea Toyas hangs out with us. As the casting and voice director for Blizzard, Andrea is one of the best talent directors in the business. We talk with Andrea about our recurring theme, musicality and voice acting. Is there a connection in there somewhere? Helping actors find the most from their abilities. Collaborating, connecting, and caring about voice actors. Yes, I said caring about voice actors. And another perspective on storytelling in MMOs from someone who works on the most successful MMO of all time. Andrea is awesome and exceptionally cool to hang out with. So settle in, my friends, and let's talk. Voiceover. Let's talk. Let's talk. Let's talk. Let's talk. Andrea Toyas is an award-winning casting and voice director known for her work in Overwatch, World of Warcraft, StarCraft II, Diablo III, and a whole ton of other stuff. Every voice actor who wants to do games wants to get to know Andrea because, well, she's one of the most influential voice directors around, and today we are lucky enough to get to hang out with her for a while, so... Let's talk voiceover, Andrea Toys. Uh, wow, thank you. That's quite the intro. I feel extra special now. Thank you very much for that. Hello. Oh, well, you are extra special. <laughs> yeah. I fake it really well. So, hey, something that I wanted to ask you, you know, all the times we've we've hung out, we've talked. Right. I have never asked you this. Mm-hmm. You and I obviously share a musical connection. Mm-hmm. You play music for me all the time. I've sent you Austin artists and everything else. Yes. I know you DJ. Where... What is your musical background? What what got you into music? Do you play anything? I, I, we've never even talked about that, even though we always are sharing music. Yes, that's a very good point. You know, music's always been a big part of my life. I credit it to my father. I love my, my favorite story is, first of all, my father started the Stereophonics Club when he was, you know, in high school. And when he was little, he would go to the basement, not little, like 16, and put foil all over the walls and DJ and make a nightclub in the house. So it's kind of in the blood. And because he's wonderfully insane with music, I've always grown up with it. And then we add to this that I'm Polish. That's my background. And so at a very young age, I was forced to play uh, the organ and play polkas. And we always had polka parties. And there was always music in the house. And it sounds like the most cliche answer uh, in the world for people who are into music. But I think all of us start that way somehow. So I was always around music, forced to play uh, organ while wearing a full Polish costume. Looked like a total dick. But um, I did that when I was little. So I was playing organ at a young age and then because they got me started so young I've always been playing music after that I played saxophone for a long time um, which is definitely not the coolest instrument. Tell me that the accordion is in there somewhere, please. I would love to say, I, I, my dad tried to make me, because we would do this thing where family would come over and friends and there would be all this alcohol and I would be on the organ and my dad would be on the accordion next to me and we would play polkas oh. all night for drunk Polish relatives. So, yeah, looking back now, I can appreciate it, but back then it was like I was being waterboarded. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I did and then I played sax for a long time and I've, I've always had an inherent sense of melody and musicality which I think really benefits my work. And I've always been a music lover because my dad was kind of a pseudo DJ. So um, so I played sax. Uh, I DJ now and I also play drums in kind of a post-punk band. So music is always in me no matter what I'm doing. And like I said, I really think there's such a music and a musicality and tone and delivery to VO. So oddly enough, I think aside from my years of experience in the video game world, I feel like it's my musical background and my musical understanding that really lends itself well to my job. So uh, 
yeah, great question. I don't think I've ever told anybody about those those stories before, Randy. So well done, you. Yeah, uh, well, you know, it is what it is. You know, this this musical thread mm. seems to be running through all kinds of stuff. Um, there's the number of actors that that I don't even know about until later on. And they're like, oh yeah, I grew up, I played piano, or I, right. or, you know, or somebody like Greg Chun, who I did know this, but I didn't know this for a long time, you know, all the music that he does. And he, he actually came out to LA to be a composer. Right. You know, and I didn't even know him as that. Right, right. Dave Fenoy has uh, this jazz background that, that he came from. And Well, um, we talked to Cindy Robinson and she, I mean, she started out on Broadway. Absolutely. So, as everybody seems to have that musicality mm-hmm. in them. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think you're right. It, it absolutely does help. Oh, yeah. There's so many times like when I'm in session and we're pulling selects and takes or I'm casting even or, you know, all aspects of the VO process. I often reference it to myself making a mixtape. I'm making a VO mixtape. You know, when I'm when I'm putting voices together, when I cast or when I'm in session, it's I'm really hearing it and seeing how the characters fit together and how the lines fit together. So I very much feel like a sounds so hokey pokey, but like a VO DJ. But because I really am blending songs together and finding the right fit and the right melody. And you guys know firsthand, so many times when actors are in the booth, they, they do different takes and you can hear them trying to find the right note, if you will. And they're trying mm-hmm. to find that right delivery and boom, they find it because they know there's a melody and a delivery to it. So I think to both your points, it's a big part of what we do. One of the, the probably the most primary points, I would say. So I agree wholeheartedly. I actually had a session earlier today with an actor who's really, really good. Mm. But he's always somebody who I've thought is, you, you know how you have those actors who have, there's this niche, there's oh, yeah. this thing they, that they do, but getting them outside uh-huh. of that That's right. is really, really difficult. Right. Well, the powers that be at the developer cast him for a second part. So he's doing um, a very well-known character okay. um, that is British and old and wizened, and they cast him doing another actor that is old and wizened with a British accent, but mm. slightly happier. And I'm like, oh, you didn't do that. Mm. Um, and, and this guy is a really, really good actor. Mm. you know. But changing his voice, he's just got this delivery that he does. Mm-hmm. And today, going in this, it's like, how are we going to make this right. work? Right. And so to what you said about the musicality, what I, it just came to me. It's like, change where you sit. Right. So I, you know, I said to him, it's like, so here's where you're always ending your sentences. You mm-hmm. always end them here. This is your note. That's your end sentence. Mm-hmm. We all have that. Mm-hmm. I want you to change your note to here. Just end your sentences there instead of there. That's Just great direction. however you do it. It mm-hmm. suddenly like made him be a different character. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh my God. And, That's great. And that was... That was all he really did. And we changed the accent slightly. Mm-hmm. It's like, can we put him a little bit more north? Mm-hmm. Um, so exactly what you just said, that whole musicality and changing it and, and changing it that way, it just it just worked. Yeah, that's great. And it's always interesting when that happens because, because you know, a fair amount of actors think they do that one thing. And I've heard them say, oh, I can't do that. And it's like, well, let's try and see because you never know. And then, you know, to your point, once they try, they realize they have this whole other skill they didn't even know they had. And mm-hmm. that's the beauty of VO. I was talking to an actress earlier today about you can do anything, be anything, sound like anything. And the more... Even if you think, you know, I had a student once I was teaching and she had a very high pitched voice. She kept telling me, I can't do low creaturey stuff. And my point to her was, well, let's try because whatever you do is going to be your take on creatures and, and let's, let's see what happens. And when she forced herself to go low, granted, she couldn't get, you know, super baritone like maybe other people could, but she had this mm-hmm. really scary, weird, screechy mid tone place that was equally terrifying and definitely creature like. So, 
you know, it's always interesting when people think they can't expand because when they do, they're going to have really interesting results like you had today. So I love hearing stories like that. But it's sometimes just those things that uh-huh. come to you that, uh-huh. you that you kind of make work. It's such a great point because no one else can be you. And right, so that's right. no matter what you are, there is a place for that somewhere Absolutely. Absolutely. if you're willing to explore it. so Right. The worst thing you can do, I think, when you want to get into VO is kind of go, okay, here's what I do. This is this, this little niche that I do. That's great. But if you want to you know, be successful, especially in video games, you got to have lots of colors, lots of crayons, lots of things. So I think it's, it's good to push yourself because if you just go in with that one thing, that's going to be great when we need it. But we're going to need a whole lot extra as, as you went through today, Randy. So, yeah. You and Randy have been working together for a long time now. Yes. And and Randy and I have put up with each other for (laughs) (laughs) about twice as long. Right. Mostly because, well, we like to hang out and, you know, think deep thoughts and drink a lot. Right, right. Perfect. But what I'm interested in is how do you guys collaborate in your role with Blizzard and Randy's role as a casting and and talent director? Mm, mm. Well, first of all, I've got to say I'm really, really picky about who I bring on my team because, you know, I've worked hard over the years, as all video game companies do, but in particular for my job at Blizzard, I've worked really hard to set a quality bar for what we do and the kind of talent we work with. So, because, you know, there's there's a fair amount of people in the industry I could work with, and there's I work with lots of great people. There's great people I don't even work with yet. Um, but my point is I really try to vet those that I bring into the family. And Randy is one of those people who is not only, you know, as you know, not not just because you're on the call with us, Randy, but, you know, an intelligent, articulate, <laughs> passionate artist. As a, He's an interesting, and he's an interesting person. So I've left th- to use the bathroom, by the way, so speak freely. <laughs> so, yeah, but I think, I think, you know, to bring something interesting to the table, you kind of yourself have to be an interesting person. And Randy is definitely that. And the way it's worked is, you know, I do the bulk of casting myself. But sometimes I don't have the time, bandwidth, or energy to find the right people. And I also know that as, as much as I might know, you know, X amount of people, there's going to be a lot of people I don't know. So Randy's kind of my, my 007. You know, oftentimes if I'm too busy or if I'm looking for something very niche, I'll give it to Randy. And because of his artistry and his own musical ear and his musical background, he can understand what I'm talking about. And he's brought me very great actors and a lot of heavy hitters who I've never met before, Aaron Phillips, Scott McNeil. So we collaborate. I bring in Randy when I need, you know, secret service assistance, and he always delivers. So it's kind of fun to have somebody in your back pocket that you trust and that you know has a great ear and can bring you great stuff. I think that collaboration is critical. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We get each other. We kind of really get each other, and that's a big, a big part of it. And something that's kind of fun for me, you actually took Troop and you put him in. Oh, yes. To... Oh, yes. Uh, but Troop's amazing. He's a really great guy. So He is. Yeah. He's, and, and he's another one who's multi-talented. Yes. I actually worked with Troop about 10 years ago. I was working for a games company that did testing. And for GDC that year, we wanted to go ahead and create a video game. So there was these three guys in the Austin area who were in their early 20s and they were kind of working on some stuff. And we contracted them to create a game, subcontracted through them. And Troop, that was the first game he ever did voices on. Wow. And he did it basically out of necessity because, well, there wasn't enough budget to <laughs> right, hire right. other voice actors. And, and that's how, that's kind of how he got started. Wow. And he's so, got that great voice. Good job with that. Uh, he's, he's really amazing. He's phenomenal. Yeah. And yeah, a lovely human. So double win. Oh, yes, God. He he's is. Just, yeah, he's, yeah. He's just a wonderful person. Yeah. You know, just... 
in a sense, I'm really glad for him that he moved out to L.A. And right. I'm really sorry that he moved away from Austin. Yes, so. yes. Well, luckily, you can still record him remotely and do those kinds of things. So you still have that access. Yeah, well, the dirty little secret is even when he was in Austin, I was recording him remotely uh, because it was just so much easier for me to be in my studio right. than he, to be in his. Right. I mean, you know, back to the music thing, what's kind of funny because this has come up a couple of times in the past few days. Um, I'm working with a Japanese company on a big project and it's been – really pulling eye teeth to get them to understand why, no, I'm not going to bring a whole slew of actors into my studio, mm. but they're going to be really top flight actors. Right. They just are going to be spread out. Mm-hmm. And they've had a tough time wrapping their head around them, but they gave us the contract anyway. Okay. And um, Well, it certainly gives us more possibility, right? So we're not limited to a certain physical region. We can connect with people all over the world. So it's a great thing. But at the same time, I also think there's collaboration that sometimes you miss when you're in the same room. Yes. It's, you know, it's just like you have the luxury of doing this. Most companies I work with do not, where you can say, hey, we're going to sit down, we're going to do a table read. Oh, yes. Hey, and in, in, in this particular thing, we're going to do an ensemble, mm-hmm. even though I know a lot of what you do is still not ensemble. Mm. But you have the luxury of saying, in this particular thing, yes. We want to do that. Yes. Most companies I work with either do not or will not. And I. That's a shame. Just, right. I just wonder sometimes if that's a loss that, you know, is it worth the trade off? Oh. I don't know. Well, I tell you, you know, especially for Overwatch, the episodics that we do, um, you know, we, when we do ensemble when we can and if we need to, and, you know, multiple um, variables go into that. But for our Overwatch cinematics, um, for those, for people who've seen those, those are really heavy and emotional. And just yesterday I was reviewing footage of our Reinhardt cinematic and you know and for our our cinematic sessions it's we have a table set up with food and tea we all kind of take our shoes off and we have an extensive kind of introductory session of talking about ourselves and our inner selves and then we do a table read and we do an, a very in-depth script analysis and then we take all the mics out of the room and do an extensive kind of blocking we move everything so they can actually theatrically act it out and then we do some improv exercises and I bring that up because the results you get to your point, with an ensemble, I mean, the, the air, the molecules in the air change. I was watching the footage of the improvs we did with the Reinhardt scene, and when you, we could, you could see the actors, and when they're locking eyes with each other, and tears are streaming down their cheeks. I mean, you, to your point, Randy, it's great that people can patch in from different areas, but the footage, even watching it yesterday, made me cry because I, I when I was directing, I wasn't, right, I wasn't in there directly standing next to them. And with the footage, I saw them staring deep, Baldrick, who's the commander who dies in Reinhardt, staring deep into each other's eyes and physically leaning into each other and connecting in such a spiritual way. So, you know, yes, there's benefits to being able to connect around the world. But when you put actors or musicians or any creatives together in a room, I mean, the kinetic flow of possibility is endless, you know, so... So it depends how you look at it. But when it comes to getting the best results VO-wise or for actors or any creatives, you combine forces and you get something much bigger than you set out for, you know. So So why is it that we as an industry have gone so much to you record, then you record, then you record? I know. I think it started, you know, back in games when they were just little one-liners, you know. I mean, as much as we might have had theatrical pieces in the early days... It was pretty much one-liners, but as all three of us know, storytelling in video games has evolved drastically, and no longer is it the little one-liners. So I think 
that even though we're pushing the envelope and becoming bigger storytellers, there's this still default to just get it done and run the lines like we did back in the day. So I don't think that our craft has necessarily matched the, the speed of our creativity, if that makes sense. So hopefully that's changing, but I think that's what the biggest issue is. You talk about storytelling, and we've had this discussion back and forth. What is your take on storytelling especially in the face of so many games being MMO worlds, Mm. the way that MMOs are played, especially by younger players who do it more as their own personal social than really to get into the game. Right. Are MMOs killing storytelling? I don't think so, because I tell you, even if the players aren't following the story, this might sound so ridiculous. I've never kind of worded it like this before. They're still telling their own story, even if they're not you know, watching all our cutscenes and everything else like that. With just the voice of the character as themselves, they're going around and having their own story. So in a weird way, it's kind of, I forget what those books were called back in the day, make your own adventure books. So in a weird way, even without our cutscenes, we still take those lines seriously because they are making their own story and doing their own thing, right? But having said that, though, as much as we might feel like it's killing storytelling, I mean, when we see the fans at BlizzCon who who live and die and breathe our characters in our cutscenes, with World of Warcraft as, a, as one of the biggest MMOs, that's storytelling to the, the the millionth power because those fans, they are living in that game so much that that's, that's not storytelling anymore, that's life. So I would actually counter it and say that in some ways, MMOs can be storytelling around a campfire at its best. Does that make sense? Well, it does, but I also think that, that World of Warcraft is the exception to the MMO trend. Obviously, they're, you know, they're an MMO. They're the biggest in the world. But they have always been, I mean, Warcraft, even before it was World of Warcraft, was always about storytelling, and there was always an arc. Um, So it's a little bit different than some of the stuff. Fair enough, fair enough. I work on a storytelling MMO. Right. But I think what Brian is saying are all the MMOs out there that are all about, you know, you just do action, you just, you hang with your friends, and either there is no story arc because we don't put it in there, or, well, there's a story arc, but you don't have to play it. Right. Where if if you play WoW, you I mean, you kind of do have to play the story arc, at you, least to You have to degree. follow, yeah, yeah. Right. To a certain degree, right. I don't know. I don't know if it's killing it. You know, I mean, I mean, I absolutely hear your point and I understand it. But I think there are going to be those people that just want to get in and hang out and mine for gold or something. But on the other hand, you know, I think that the video game industry is so diverse and interesting that you are certainly still going to have that portion of people who live for story. Whether it's a good story or bad story, they kind of cling to these things. So I we can't kill it because there's people out there who want it so badly. And especially with our audience getting bigger and broader, I think it might ebb and flow every now and again, but I think ultimately there's still that base that needs story. So will it kill it? No. Could it alter it, maybe diminish it sometimes? Sure. But I think it's just going to ebb and flow depending on the ebb and flow of the game industry as well. I will say that the one year that I did come out to BlizzCon, that was a really, really interesting experience. Yes. And that was also the first year that you had the voice actors right. on stage and, right. and did your little round table with them. Yeah, those people are obviously very passionate about the story. Right. They're passionate about the whole thing. You had people on stage when they would were announcing things about the Horde or the Alliance were booing and hissing or cheering <laughs> each other. And the only time I've ever seen anything like that, to be honest, was back in the day when I was still doing the road thing. We fell in with Queensryche. Awesome. And that was the year that they were doing the tour with Metallica with Injustice for All and when Metallica really broke nationally. I remember the first show that I saw, and I've actually told other people this, 
about BlizzCon, uh, the first Metallica show I ever saw. So I'm sitting on the sound and light console mm-hmm. in the middle of the floor watching the show. Queensryche does their thing. Metallica comes on. They open with Blackened. The second song is For Whom the Bell Tolls. And they do just the super troopers chasing around the stadium. And it's like 20,000 black t-shirted, <laughs> mostly boys, <laughs> right. all just with their hands in the air, just you know, thrusting yep. you know, their fingers yep. forward as, as hard as they could. And it's like, I'm looking at this going, this is either the coolest thing I've ever thing, <laughs> seen or the scariest thing I've ever seen. Right. And to some degree, that was BlizzCon. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my God, absolutely. It's a whole little mini universe into itself. Yes, I. Mm-hmm. Th- that's how it is every year. Yeah, I, I believe it. <laughs> Randy often talks about you as the connection point between the writers and creative side mm-hmm. in-house and then the actors. There's a balance that you need to find to be able to mm-hmm. pull that together, right? To satisfy yes. the writers, move the story forward, make sure you mm-hmm. get everything, but still allow, enable those actors to live and breathe and grow those characters. How do you go about bridging that back and forth? That's the hardest part, I think, about being a voice director. I call myself the universal translator, right? Because I kind of have to keep my mind in two worlds, one foot in each world. I've got to be able, you know, I'm very grateful to be on staff at Blizzard because that allows me to live, breathe, eat, sleep Blizzard games and the IPs and characters and story. So on one hand, I have to speak the language of the writer, you know, ascertain what they want, get their references, understand their perspective, and, you know, because they speak a very specific language. Then I've got to take that within seconds digest it, regurgitate it, and then talk actor speak. So it is very difficult, but that's the hard part of being a voice director. And the best part is that you are kind of the ambassador and the uh, or a translator for each aspect of this process. And it's it's fun, too, because the best things that I enjoy doing, the, my favorite things, would be when the writer comes to me and says they want ABC. This is what they're looking for. Great. I digest it. I, I give it to the actor. And it's really fun then when the actor takes it and does something different with it. You know, it's like the writer gives us the clay. I take the clay, kind of get it ready and give it to the actor. And it's really fun when they can take what the writer wants and do above and beyond that. So as much as I'm the translator, I'm also the conduit for collaboration because I'm there to let to pull more out of the writer and get more from the actor. So as a voice director, you kind of have to satisfy and inspire both sides. And that's kind of the tricky part and the best part of the job. Do you think that's fair to say, Randy? Do you have the same experience? Well, I do. And as I have told Brian and numerous other people, the biggest thing for me is that, you know, I have sat and watched you and watched you do it in a way that maybe it's not better than how I do it, but it's certainly you think in different ways that I do. And I always learn something watching you in a session. And and you do. You I mean, that is one of your greatest gifts is you have this ability to translate. You have this process that allows you to do stuff that most of us can't. So when I'm usually in session with somebody, I've got the other people there. You don't have your writers talking to the actor. They talk to you, and then you talk to the actor. It's just the way your system is set up. Right. And you've got that barrier. And a lot of times, that's that's not the case with what I do. By nature, they are in session with me. Right. And if they decide to chime in... You know, I run the risk of, well, I can tell them, shut up, talk to me. Right. Which could offend them. And of mm. course, because they're my client, that's a problem. Right. So it's it's a very delicate balance of trying to get them to please give the information to me and let me translate. Right, right. That being said, you 
translate in a way. I mean, I've heard writers talk to you and they sit and they tell you ABC, blah, blah, blah. And you turn around and you talk to the actor and you don't say ABC, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> right. You say, well, X, Y, Z, and here's a little bit of Italian. <laughs> but it's the correct thing to say and the correct thing to do. Right. You've got this little input thing that you that you translate with that you just do and like, well, I, under, I, I think I know what the writer is saying or I do know what the writer is saying. Mm. And I know what I can say to the actor that is not what the writer said. Right. And I'm going to say this thing that is still going to translate it to them and they're going to go, oh, well, I should be big and powerful and do this. And, right. they, and that's what they do. Right. And I think that's a, that's a great gift. Well, thank you. And, and the added stress to that is I've got seconds to do it, right? I mean, that's the hard part. And sometimes I don't do it well. Sometimes I'm stumped. But that's the really hard part is you've got pressure because you've just got only seconds to make that translation. So, But right. I will say sometimes, you know, depending on who I'm working with in the team, sometimes I do bring the writer into the session to talk to the talent in terms of them giving context and explaining things and doing it that way. So, you know, I try to be the main person because, as you said, things can get really messy and tricky if there's too many voices. But, you know, if and when it's relevant, I do bring the the writer into the session so we could all kind of be in the sandbox together. But generally, mm-hmm. I do try to protect the talent to make sure that we're there's only one voice so they don't feel like they're getting you know ten different layers of direction. So a little bit of inside baseball, something that Brian and I worked on together that I'm gonna that I'm gonna say that that Brian did, and I only know this because I was actually working a different room than he was. Right. So we were doing World Series of Poker, and I will actually uh, turn this over to Brian. You with Liz Liu. <laughs> Doing World Series of Poker as a talent director was awesome because, you know, as a talent director, you're trying to loosen up and get your talent comfortable. And and they're not professional talent. They're professional poker players. Right. And so Liz Liu is this phenomenal poker player. Right. And she is just having a time with the script. Oh, my goodness. The writers wrote a script so that they could interact with the game player. But the reality is, is that a poker player doesn't really talk. Oh, no. In fact, they don't look at people. They don't talk. They don't do any of that because that's a tell. Oh. So I actually asked Liz. I said, so what do you say when you're sitting at the table? And she said, nope. (laughs) So that's one of those times that what the talent could provide really didn't match the writer's input. That's right. We had to gently manipulate that. I actually went into the booth and sat with her and just had a conversation back and forth. Right. Throwing out prompts and ideas and things to get her to say something. Right. It's really interesting to do that. We've all been really fortunate Mm. to be able to direct talent in video games. Right. I know that my style comes from the fact that I was a recording engineer originally, and then I was a voice talent, and that really colors my style. Randy's style is very colored by the fact that he's a musician. Right. And he brings that into his talent directing. Right. Talk a little bit about your style and how you kind of landed on it and how you've seen it evolve. Right. Well, it's funny enough, I also started as a recording engineer. So that really was an amazing thing for myself in this industry, because as you probably went through, you know, the best the best education I got was being an engineer because then I worked with a multitude of directors, a multitude of actors on a multitude of games. So when you get to be the person in the room focusing on Pro Tools, quietly absorbing the, the world around you, um, I think that's when I really fell in love with actors, directors, the process, when I understood, again, the musicality of it, when I really grasped the whole world. Yeah. You know, as an engineer, much like you, I'm sure, I was kind of secretly studying the craft and absorbing it. And now, I never thought for a second I'd be a voice director, but it was a great way to kind of be around the realm. And like you kind of hinted at, you hear all kinds of styles of directing and everybody has their own approach. So that certainly formed the basis. As for my directing style, I have a directing mentor who basically it's kind of teaches directing for theater 
editor and for film. Her name is Judith Weston. And for anybody who's interested in directing that woman and her directing actors, I think that's what it's called, acting acting for directors. I don't know. Google Judith Weston. I forget what the book is called. But I found her before my first directing gig. I was so nervous. I just researched a book on Google because I wanted some kind of book as a guide. And I hadn't met her yet. And I was in New York uh, directing actors, and I got this book. And if you saw it now, it's almost funny because I tried to highlight the important lines, which meant I highlighted the entire book. Every single thing she said in there was relevant. (laughs) And she's really changed my life. She's my Obi-Wan because the very first page talks about, you know, the number one job of a director is to protect the actors. No matter what goes on, no matter what happens, no matter what kind of direction— As long as they feel safe, you're going to get something good. So I really have to say that my directing style has come from not only reading all her books, but I've studied extensively um, at her studio, which she's now retired. But, you know, with her, we studied, we did a lot of um, rehearsals, you know, script analysis, extensive script analysis, extensive rehearsing with actors. I mean, it's funny. When I started taking her classes, I thought there's all these film, well-known, actually well-known film directors, TV directors, and there's me. Hi, I'm a voice director on video games. And I felt like the odd man out and was sure that I was handicapped and that I was ill-equipped to, to direct. Because with her, you're directing on stage. You're actually blocking things and directing theater. So I was sure that I would be a failure. But what happened was, I think because as voice directors, we work with so many more actors and we're, we're so much more comfortable with actors that I actually was successful because I'm so comfortable talking to talent. And a lot of other directors, believe it or not, are not. So my point is that the way she talks about protecting actors, taking care of actors, collaborating with them, you know, she says things like, ask more questions than you do answers. Don't impose your vision on them. Create enough fertile soil so they can create. Don't tell them how to create or what to do. Just all you got to do is create the environment for them to flourish and they will. So I really think that, you know, I'm heavily influenced by her and most, if not all, of my style comes from directly from her technique and her philosophies. So that's she's she's beyond she's God to me. So she's been amazing. Andrea gave us the gift of her time, which is pretty darn valuable. In fact, she gave us a lot more time than we deserved. So we made two episodes from our conversation. This is the end of part one. Now you'll need to come back for part two. Stay tuned. Let's Talk VoiceOver is hosted by Randy Ryan, owner of Hamsterball Studios Voice, Music, and Sound Design, and Brian Talbot, actor and all-around creative guy. If you have comments, questions, ideas for other show topics that you'd be interested in hearing about or you just want to let us know what you think, you can reach us by sending an email to bt at letstalkvoiceover.com or go to our website at www.letstalkvoiceover.com. That's letstalkvoiceover.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite media app so you don't miss an episode. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter, too. We just might post something. Thanks for listening to Let's Talk, voiceover. We'll talk again real soon. <laughs>